Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Christ throughout his life came and came to specific individuals and said to them, follow me. He didn't say follow a, a set of doctrinal beliefs. He didn't say to follow a creed or a religion or a church. He made it very, very personal. He said, follow me. And we have often said that Christianity is not about being a religion. It is about a relationship. And Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, told them his heart just really longed for them to have a a vibrant, strong relationship. And and in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You notice Paul in this, he he said, I'm praying that your inner man would be strengthened, that you would know the love of God, that you would be grounded in the love of God, that you'd know the height and depth and width and the, the fullness of the love of Christ and being filled with his fullness. And he's, he's really, it's as though he's saying, I have come to know this and, and I want you to know this. And it wasn't just some mental ascent. It wasn't just following a, a set of beliefs. To be a Christian, we're going to give you a little quiz here, okay? To be a Christian is, one, to believe that Jesus was born, lived, died, and was raised from the dead. Two, to be a Christian is to accept that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ in order to reconcile all men to himself. Three, to receive Jesus and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Option number one has to do with the historical events of Jesus' life. Option number two deals with the theology that it was God that took upon himself the form of a man 
It deals with the the doctrine of Christ that um, he came to reconcile man to God. Option three has to do with the personal, subjective experience one has of Jesus Christ. And there are people that... um, I won't ask you for your answers because we'll explain here. But there are people that, number one, they believe that Jesus was born, he lived, died, and was raised from the dead. But they still not may not be a Christian. It's not just giving mental assent to a historical fact of saying, I believe that happened. It it is also just not accepting and acknowledging the fact that Christ became a man. His purpose in doing that was to pay the penalty for sin for all mankind to reconcile them to God. There, There really needs to be, yes, believe number one, yes, believe number two, but it must be made personal in our lives. There must be a point in time where we come to realize it was my sin that Jesus died for. It was my sin, as we've just sung, that held him to the cross. And and to realize that he offers to me the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And he says, but as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, that we personally receive the payment of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and acknowledge him as the master of our life. And this is what makes it personal. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when you mention the word relationship, There are all kinds of thoughts that come to mind. Relationships are difficult, aren't they? I mean, there's possibilities of misunderstanding. There's possibilities of hurt feelings. There's there's all kinds of things that can go on in relationships. There's all kinds of blessings that can come from these as well. But... For us to say, and it, it almost sounds almost mystical to say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship is an interaction of at least two people that involves communication, connection, Interaction, correlation. I could, I could say in a certain regard that I have a personal relationship with Hayden Fry. I wrote him a letter. I asked him some questions. He personally answered my letter and answered my questions. But you know what? I... I don't have an ongoing interaction. 
He doesn't know me from a bucket of sand. You know what I mean? And and I really don't have a relationship, although we have communicated. I don't have a relationship with him. And there are many people today that really don't have a relationship with God. And today we want to look at stages of personally knowing God. And really, these really go in progression. To personally know God, and this is the whole basis of life. I mean, if you live this life and don't have a personal relationship with God, your life has been lived in vain. And when Jesus said, follow me, he was inviting them to personally interact with them. So, what are the stages, if you please, of personally knowing God? Number one, it begins by acknowledging him as creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19 and verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiworks. Christianity was asleep at the switch. That's an old railroad term, okay? The switch is what determines which track a rail, the train is going to go down. We were at sleep at the switch when evolution was introduced into society. And Satan in his devices was very wise in this because if God is not creator, end of conversation, period. And many, many people today around the world do not believe that God is the creator. But the reality is that common sense will tell you wherever there is a design, there had to be a designer. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a storm came through this week? And after the storm, horrific storm, winds blowing, trees and limbs everywhere. And after the storm, you looked out on your property and there was a brand new home right there on the property put together as a result of that storm. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? But we know wherever there is a design... There had to be a designer. But evolution says, no, 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 these designs just came about. And I'm not going to take the message this morning to speak on this. But we have really been duped as a people to believe that God is not creator. You cannot, you cannot look at springtime and not see the handiwork of God. But a relationship with God begins by realizing he is eternal, 
He is the creator. And secondly, he is the lawgiver. He is the one that established life. He is the one that established the parameters for life. Again, we're not going to go into the details of this. The law was given for our good, and it showed us as human beings that we are sinners, that we are in need of God. The law was given if, if we just looked at the Ten Commandments, the law was given. And if people followed that, society would, would know peace, society would know security, and so on. God is the creator, God is the lawgiver, and because he is the lawgiver, he is also the judge. He gave the law, and... In so giving the law, he reminded us that the law was given and we must answer to someone for our response to the law. He's the creator, he's the lawgiver, he's the judge. So far, this paints a pretty dark picture because every one of us have violated the law of God. We have made God's We have loved other things more than we've loved God. We've dishonored parents. We've lusted in our hearts. And we have been idolatrous. We have been thieves and liars and arrogant and covetous. And we have broken the law of God. And the judge says, guilty, guilty, guilty. But the judge also said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Creator, lawgiver, judge, and redeemer or deliverer, or Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're back to those three options. It's all three of those options. Believing, yes, he lived a life, died and rose again. He vicariously, substitutionary, took our place And he offers to us the forgiveness of sins. And thirdly, we have the opportunity to receive Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And he delivers us from our sins. He redeems us. Time is limited, but mankind originally, as the creator, was made to fellowship with God. Sin broke that fellowship. The law, the judge... But Jesus Christ came to restore us. But this is where, even in Christian circles, we often run into um, maybe a dead-end street here. We tend to, to see what Christ did for us as an end-all, that it it. Paid the penalty for our sin. 
We are justified. We're brought to a right relationship with God. We have the penalty of sin removed. We have our fire insurance policy, if you please. We have eternal assurance of heaven through Jesus Christ. Our past is forgiven. Our future is assured. And we are happy with that. And we ought to be rejoicing always in that. But we fail to see that that in and of itself does not encompass a dynamic, living, personal relationship with a living Lord Jesus Christ in the present. How would you describe your relationship today with Jesus Christ? Your personal relationship with Him. There is, it is vitally important for every person to come to know Christ as Savior. But then that personal relationship, we weren't just saved to have our sins forgiven and us to just live out our life and go to heaven. We were made for fellowship with God. And once we trust Christ as Savior, we then must come to know Him as our Father. He said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I desire to be a father unto you in 2 Corinthians 6.18. See, there's this, I, I know God as Creator because that He is the one that wrote the book, the law, he is the judge. I am in trouble with the judge. There is no hope. And, and I need a deliverer. And it's Jesus Christ. And once I receive Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within me. It is a living Spirit of God. It is something that speaks and ministers through His Word. And then God becomes something more than just the Savior to me. He is a father to me. A father provides. A father protects. A father teaches. A father leads. A father brings stability. There's much more than meets the eye in our culture today on why there is the attack on men and fathers It's a spiritual warfare that goes back that is destroying, seeking to destroy the very nature of God. There are probably a majority of kids today when I say a father provides, protects, teaches, leads, and provides stability, there are a majority of kids today that would say, not my father. But that's what God the Father does to us, and that's what he intends an earthly father to do. But God says, I'm bringing you into a relationship, yes, creator, lawgiver, judge, and yes, spiritual life, savior and deliverer, but I want you to come to know me as your heavenly father. Isaiah 9, 6, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. 
When my father passed away, that term, the everlasting father, took on much more meaning to me. I valued the instruction that I received from my father. I valued his life and testimony, but it was gone. And God said, I am your everlasting father. I'll never be gone. I am the one that ultimately provides and protects and teaches and leads and brings stability. And to grow beyond being a newborn Christian, to come to know God as our Father. Not just to pray a prayer, our Father, but you know Him as a Father. You know Him in a personal relationship. You know the comfort of knowing Dad's home and everything's all right. God's here, and I don't say this irreverently, Dad's here and everything's all right. God the Father is in control. And I thank you, Father. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving life to me. Some of you didn't grow up with a Father that truly cared for you. Some of you may have been betrayed by a Father. But God says, I want you to come and know me as an everlasting Father. That is a very, very special stage and growth of our development that we really know him as a father. That we can just, if you please, crawl up on his lap and know it's okay. God is in control. But then God wants even more than that. He says, I'm not just your father. I want to be your friend. You know, in John 15 and verse 14, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. God called Abraham a friend of God. I mean, think of this. Friends enjoy spending time together. Friends share an openness. Friends provide acceptance and comfort and and they show a loyalness and And they're willing to say the tough things because they love one another. And God says, yes, I am your father, but it's a joyful thing as you get older in life and you see your kids grow up and the reality, I am still Andrew's father, but he's a man. And now we're able to be not just father-son, we're friends. We share this together. 
And this is that God wants to be my friend? I mean, this is... Can you truly say today that you know, that, that you know in a personal manner, Jesus is my friend? Not just here. We all know that. Boy, when, there is, when, when I need someone, I go to him. He is my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. When you come to prayer, is it like you're coming to a friend? See, you really, it is. You come to know Him as a father, but then... As you grow in Him, you come to know Him as a friend and a personal relationship. And then, later in Ephesians, Paul gives one more analogy that we want to touch on this morning. Not only do you grow to know Him as a friend, as a father, as a friend, but you come to see Him as a lover. I don't mean in the sense that lovers in our society today, and to some of you right now, by me saying that, you really struggled with it. But genuine lovers have a oneness, a transparency, a adoration, a intimacy, a submission, and a fervent, attractive love. It is refreshing to see people that genuinely love each other, a couple that loves each other. And, and if you think this is not a proper analogy, you haven't read Ephesians chapter 5. He said the picture that God designed to show forth the love that Christ has for the church is the picture of a husband and wife. And because we have so destroyed that picture, we have a hard time imagining this. But this is, this is a, a intimacy in oneness. This is Christ in us. And there are things that a, a husband and wife that love each other, they have things that are just between them and them alone, and it is their special, special treasure, if you please. And when you know God as father and friend and the lover of your soul, you have an intimacy with him that that you just you just can't explain the closeness the oneness this is what this is what Paul employs in Ephesians 5:22 through 33 as he's illustrating the relationship of Christ and the Christian the indwelling of the presence of God within us 
I'm not saying we have a romantic, sensual relationship with God. But what I am saying, God wants a lively, passionate, and intimate relationship in our daily lives. That our hearts and minds, we are, we are one with Him. And, and when He is the lover of our soul, people, a husband and wife that genuinely love each other, they know each other. I mean, our communication, you often know what the other person is, how they're finishing their sentence. So that's why we've got to where we don't even finish them anymore. But, but it is, you know each other. You know the heart of them. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. God, the one thing I, the one thing I desire is you and you alone. That's the heart cry of a lover. And the reality is that this is, this is, God is not content with just saving us, just being our Redeemer. What's your personal relationship? I mean, have you come to enjoy Him as Father? And, and the more we know about relationships, Many, many people struggle with the father images in their life and it affects them all their life. And God says, no, I want to be your father. But I want to go beyond that. I want to be your friend. And I want to be the one that is the special object of your love. And you know, when he becomes the lover of our souls, it will make us a better husband and wife, a better parent. It will have a positive impact on our life. And, and I fear that across Christianity, we have, we have settled, and I don't mean this bad, but we have settled with him being our Savior. And Paul said, oh, I wish you knew the fullness of the love of God. He wants to father you. He wants to be your best friend that, that will never die and be gone or will never betray you or will never disappoint you. And, and beyond that, he wants to be the lover of your soul. Don't, don't be content. Don't settle for just him being your savior. And I'm not minimizing that. I'm saying God saved you for much more than that. He saved you so that you would really know His heart. And when you really come to know Him and love Him, you will be filled with praise. So we ask today, as as you look at that list of seven stages, how far down the list are you today? Most important, is he your redeemer? If you're here today and you say, I don't know that I have personally received Jesus Christ, you need to do that before you leave today. And if you have, have you really 
trusted him as your father? Do you really look to him as the provider of all that you need? Do you really rest in the comfort of the father? Have you, have you progressed that he really is your friend? I mean, you can bear your soul to him. You, you have a, an openness. You have a loyalty. You enjoy spending time together. Friends long to spend time together. And then, can you honestly say, He is the love of my life. The lover of my soul. Relationships require work, persistence, patience, forgiveness, and love. And of all those things in our relationship with God... He has no need of forgiveness. He doesn't need to work at it. He doesn't need it's us. God has not moved. He is waiting. He said, him that cometh to me I will in no wise pass away. And he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And God would love to hear individuals say today, God... I really need to know you as my father. You may have deep father wounds in your heart that only God can heal. You may need to then go on and say, God, I want to really know you and come to the relationship, not a religion, a relationship that you are my friend. And God, I want you to be the lover, the the focus of my love, the lover of my soul. That you would know the fullness, Paul said, of the love of Christ. Heavenly Father, there's no way I can convey the heart of you that you so desperately long to be our Redeemer, our Father, our friend, and our lover. And Lord, I pray for individuals here today that are not sure that you are their Savior. I pray today before they leave that they would mention that to one of us and we could show them from the Bible how they can receive the gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are believers here today. I pray that we would grow in our relationship and as Paul said, that we would know the fullness of the love of Christ. As Father, as friend, and as the lover of our soul. Lord, may every one of us grow in our relationship to you that it would be a living, personal, fervent, passionate relationship that would cause others to desire you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.